Welcome back to our second segment of the negotiation series with special guest Black Swan Limited. In this episode, John Maddox sits down with former commander of hostage negotiations, Derek Gaunt. With decades of experience on the front lines, Derek has joined Black Swan Limited to coach individuals and corporations, as well as teaching at hostage negotiations and SWAT conferences. Derek also teaches how to be a great leader with these negotiation skills in his new book, Ego Authority Failure. John and Derek speak about how to address bad news, building rapport with your team members, building bulletproof emails, and much more. Now, before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you guys that we have a great YouTube channel that has a bunch of content just like this. So go check it out, like, share, subscribe, and now on to the show. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fund Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million dollar opportunities. Welcome to the podcast. This is our negotiation series, and we're here with Derek Gaunt. Th thanks for joining us, Derek. Glad to have you. All right, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's jump right into life hacks and with the negotiation. So we were talking about offline a little bit about some life hacks and some negotiation hacks. I know you got some practical examples. So yeah. uh, talk to me kind of about how this works. I, so I would tell you that the easiest life hack and probably the best is the accusations audit where we proactively attack the negatives before they're actually spoken. Mm. Um, it, you're actually reaching into someone's brain and you're shutting off the negative emotions that they have about the conversation that you're about to engage in, about the interaction that you're going to have with them. Right. And, and, and the example that I brought up before was, was checking into the hotel, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm checking into the hotel. Because we've all experienced that where you get it up, check-ins not till three o'clock, four o'clock. Yeah. And you got to, 75 bucks will get you in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I'm not paying 75 bucks to check in two hours early. Right. So I walk up to the counter and I tell the person behind the counter, I'm about to make your day that much harder. Now think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. That person behind the counter gets dumped on, on a regular basis. Yeah. Customers coming in, the room is not right. The mm -hmm. room is not ready. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted, you know, they want they're an upgrade tired, for free. Jet -lagged, they're jet lagged, etc. Yeah, and they're and and so you see the color drain from they their face. Line for yeah, a long time. Exactly. Just, exactly. Yeah. You know, they they've just traveled across the country and they're just in a bad mood. Right. The, those are who the the uh, the clerk behind the counter receives on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So when I walk up to them and I say, "I'm about to make your day that much harder." Mm. They're thinking the worst. They're thinking the worst. They're saying, this guy just, he just drove his car into the side of the building. He's got a dead body in the suitcase. <laughs> Whatever he's going to tell me is not going to be good. Right, right. Because who, who would start the conversation like that? Exactly. And so they go to the far end of the fear and worst negativity, case. Mm -hmm. worst case um, spectrum. And then I, I hit him with the question, would it be a bad idea if I checked in early? And the relief that they mm. display once they hear what I'm actually asking, makes them want to let me check in early because <laughs> mm -hmm. they're grateful for the fact that I didn't run into the side of the building and there is no body in my, <laughs> in my suitcase. So yeah. that's the quickest life hack because anytime the words I want or I need are in mm -hmm. your head or the head of the other person that you're dealing with, right. it's a difficult conversation and there's going to be negative emotions. It, 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 it's invariable. It's going to be there. So mm -hmm. the sooner you knock out those negative emotions that the other side has, the smarter they become, the more cooperative and collaborative they become. Do you think you can use that on a cold call? Sure. Sure. Like, yeah, as soon as they answer. This is probably the worst call you're gonna have today. <laughs> no, you're probably wondering why you even picked up the phone. Right. You're probably gonna think this is a big waste of your time. Right. And then you jump into it. Just and, those two you sentences. Ask, you try to get them to say no, right? Isn't that part of it? Yeah, you could is is now a bad time to talk. So you're 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 taking care of the negatives with with two accusations audits on the front, and then uh, no oriented question is now a bad time to talk. Right, I've heard it the opposite way. Right, is now a good time to talk, but that that gives them like they think they're committing to something. Yeah, you're driving for a yes, and yes is commitment on anybody's scale, and people don't like committing themselves, especially to a stranger. Right, right, absolutely. That's that's uh, so um, your book, ego, authority, and failure. Yes. Congrats on having that come out. Appreciate it. 
Tell me a little bit about ego. How do you define ego in your mind? Uh, ego is an emotion. Um, it's an emotion that's tied to self-preservation and our self-image. Mm-hmm. Um, and any encroachment on our self-image is viewed as a threat. And our ego is there to protect that image. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a negative emotion if it's not held in check. It's not necessarily 100% bad because you need a certain amount of ego in order to separate yourself from the pack. Kind of who you are, and maybe identity. It, it, there's some, it has something to do with identity, but it also has a lot to do with where, with getting people to advance mm-hmm. in their careers, mm-hmm. uh, a certain level. So um, I'm not telling you that ego is 100% evil, but I will tell you that it left unchecked, it can be. Right. Uh, so if you, as long as you recognize it for what it is mm-hmm. and keep it in check, you're going to be in a far better place. But I think it's 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 a it's a behavior, it's an emotion that's that is wrapped around our self image. And anytime the self image gets threatened, that's when the ego uh, fires up or rears its ugly head, mm-hmm. and then starts to make us think, act, and behave in detrimental ways. Now, um, your ego is necessary sometimes, right? right. Your authority is necessary sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, as it was put to me when when the en- when the enemy is inside the wire mm-hmm. and you're passing out the last rounds of ammunition. Your ego and authority better be front and center because right. time is of the essence. You're in an ex- ex- exigent circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to move a lot quicker. Your delivery of your message has to be a little bit more stern with less flexibility because you know lives are at stake. Right. Right. How'd you get into negotiations? Can you give us a little background on you? Yeah. So uh, I started my law enforcement career in 88, became a hostage negotiator in 97, team supervisor in 2001, team commander in 2004. And that's a position I held up until the time uh, that I actually left the agency. Um, you know, I started in negotiations after becoming a detective. And after, after I became a detective, I went through various interview and interrogation schools, and I learned very quickly that I could say specific things in a specific manner to elicit specific responses. Mm. And I thought that that was the coolest thing in the world. Mm. You know, I had people giving me statements against their penal interest, and they didn't mind doing it. Mm. And so I thought, what, what's the next step? The next level is become a hostage negotiator. Mm. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I competed for a spot and, uh, and I was selected and I, I never looked back and I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I've learned a lot. And, uh, I continue to evolve as a negotiator, even though I'm not involved in law enforcement anymore. That's cool. So as you know, growing up and for me watching movies about negotiations or, you know, hostage negotiations and, and there's a few movies that are pretty, pretty amazing that you're like the negotiator obviously is one of them. Um, you had to find your. You had to have found yourself in some of those situations, obviously. And do you have any that you have in the book that you'd like to maybe share with us? Um, like anything that comes to I, mind. In from the book, uh, a, a a classic example of ego um, and authority um, was an event that uh, I worked probably fourteen, fifteen years ago, um, where it was a it was a twenty four hour hostage taking where a, a father had taken uh, his son in violation of a protective order mm-hmm. from the mother. And um, it was his son. He barricaded himself in his house with his son. And he wasn't threatening harm against the kid, mm-hmm. but he was in violation of protective order. He, he had been drinking. And so we were concerned. Mm-hmm. And so this, this event went for, for 24 hours. Um, about six o'clock the following morning, they told my team to go home to get some rest. Another team came and they, they backfilled us uh, while we went home and got some rest. Um, about two o'clock in the afternoon, I get a phone call saying, you need to get back here because mm. things are they going said, south. <laughs> yeah. S is going sideways. Mm. Uh, and it was my team supervisor. And so I jumped back in the car and I, I headed back to the location and I could tell that you know, that something that changed, there was something to sound cliche. There was something in the air mm. had changed about the, the, um, the, uh, the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And so as I'm walking to the command bus, I look to my right and I see a, a robot control stand. <laughs> and I, I'm viewing an image because the robot is in front of the, the location. I'm viewing an image of, uh, of a civilian who's outside of our armored personnel carrier waving at the front of this house. And I thought, that's, that's odd. Hmm. And I'm continuing to walk, and I look ahead towards the command bus where, I, where I'm headed, and my team supervisor is outside of the bus. And now my suspicion is really high because she's not supposed to be outside the bus. She's supposed to be on the bus when I'm not around. Mm -hmm. And clearly she was not, and she was, she was hot. And so I open up the bus door to get on, and there's another, my counterpart from another agency is sitting in my seat. He looks at me, I look at him, he gets up as he's walking off, he goes, this is effed up, and he, and he walks off the bus. <laughs> so I'm looking at uh, this monitor, the civilian waving at the house, and I, and I ask the incident commander what's going on, and he says, um, this other police agency is going to relieve our SWAT team. We want our SWAT team to get some rest because we're going to do a hostage rescue. Hmm. Now, the two most dangerous times in a hostage taking are the initial taking or when we go in and try to rescue them. That's when they are exposed to the most danger. Mm -hmm. So both, both sides? Like, yeah, or, yeah, everybody. Right. Everybody. But it's specifically the hostages. They're... Their their um their chances of incurring a casualty rise astronomically oh, yeah. when we when we go in. And right. So in other words, when we go in to try to save them is yeah. when most of them die. Right. So you can't undertake like that the decision. Last resort, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't undertake that um lightly. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, what's changed? And he says, um, Mental health says that he was suicidal. I said, they said that at six o'clock in the morning. What changed? He said, um, mm -hmm. the forward observers, observe, uh, forward observers saw a long gun, which is a shoulder fired weapon behind the front door mm -hmm. when the door opened. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, we knew that earlier. What changed? Mm -hmm. Finally says, we're not going to let this go into another night. And I think to myself, wow. We're willing to roll the dice with this kid's life because we don't want this to go into another night. What was driving that decision? Ego and authority. Mm. Because he had been contemptuous of us for 24 hours. And, and now we were at the spot where we're going to show him who's boss. Mm. Because people's ego and authority got in the way. Now, ultimately... The, this is the negotiation within the negotiation. I was able to negotiate them away from that right. position. <clears throat> That's important. But it was but it was difficult to do. But I, I bring that one up and it's illustrated in the book because if ego and authority are powerful enough for you to roll the dice on a kid's life, how much more is it are they in play when the stakes are much, much lower? Oh yeah. So uh, that's, 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 in fact, that's how I start the book off. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's the one story that's, it's uh, one of my favorites to tell as a cautionary tale. Wow. Well, you think about that. I mean, recently just happened, right? Trump fired on Soleimani and there was some, you know, there's, there's like a day where we all thought we might be going to war. Like I, I remember like this was a week or two ago. I was looking on the news going, oh man, they fired missiles, you know. And, and, you know, you got Trump, who's supposed to be the master negotiator, right? And, and uh, you think about that, like, is there ego involved in that? Or is there something behind the scenes you don't know? Like, it's just, you know, I don't want to get into a huge political well, talk, but it, like, is, is there, you know, is there something to ego and authority where you're like, hey, we're the big America, like, we're going to shut you down? Like, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, without, without getting too deep in the political weeds... I will put it to you like this. Um, as a hostage negotiator, my job was to uh, solve a problem. Mm -hmm. The SWAT team's job is to solve a problem. We, do, we use basically two different sets of tools to solve the problem. Right. All right. So it's either talk them out, take them out. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is we're there to solve 
a problem, which means I may be on the phone having dialogue with the bad guy inside the crisis site. It doesn't mean that if a sniper has an opportunity to neutralize that person, even if I'm on the phone with them, that shot at least has to be considered. Right. And so Soleimani was responsible for hundreds, if not thousands of deaths mm-hmm. in the Middle East mm-hmm. of Americans and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, when an opportunity like that presents itself, because, you know, I used to get, this is a philosophical conversation I would get into with my team all of the time. Um, when, when I hear discussion about, well, I had him on the phone. Why did we take the action mm-hmm. when we did? Well, you see that in movies, right? Like, oh, you got it. I was on the phone about to get him out. You know? Yeah, we're always about to get him out. And you know what that right. is? That's ego. Right. Anytime I tell any one of my primary negotiators, hey, it's time to get off the phone. We're going to swap out, put a new negotiator on the phone, or we're going to go get some rest, whatever the case may be. We're, about, we're, we're this close. Yeah, five more minutes, boss. Five more minutes. That's ego telling them yeah. five more minutes because they're so emotionally invested. So I get into these conversations or I got into these conversations with them all of the time in that um, I don't want to be the one who goes to a family member of a victim of a homicide mm-hmm. and say to myself or should say to them, you know, at 12, 15 in the afternoon, we had an opportunity to, to take yeah. this guy out and save your loved one. But the negotiators had him on the phone and were talking to him. So the decision was made to allow him to keep talking. Right. And that's why your son, wife, mother, mm-hmm. father, daughter are not coming home. Right. Because we failed to exit it. Because you don't know when you're going to get that opportunity again. Right. And with Sulani, we don't know when we would have gotten that opportunity again. Right. And so let's say for the sake of this discussion that the decision of the military minds was not to take that shot. And he blows up a mosque next week. Bloods on the hands. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. That stuff is, uh, there's probably so much more that goes in behind the scenes that we don't even sure, know. Right? Sure. Sure. But I, I hear what you say and, and it, 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 it's, I think, you know, you got to do it. He, he like the, the hostage taker was fair game because of what he did or she did, you know, whoever took the hostages. So if you take them out, they asked for it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's right. I mean, and it, it, their, their behavior always dictates the outcome of the event. Yeah. Always. They you are the ultimate. Try to not kill obviously, but you know, when someone puts them, puts other lives in danger, it's the, it's the officer's job to make sure. Right. Yeah. You, I mean, you gotta, you got, you gotta weigh, you gotta weigh all the circumstances and, and, and make the best decision, but you can't, you can't do it. Um, in a, in a, in a vacuum, mm-hmm. right. It's gotta be something that you consider, uh, with other people, but you can never turn your back on an opportunity because these things are so dynamic. They're so fluid that uh, that window will close mm-hmm. and never be opened again. And then you have to explain why you didn't do something. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> when we were doing research about your book, it says that in a Gallup study, 50% of workers who quit their job they quit because they wanted to get away from their managers. Yeah. So why do you, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think people? Well, in a nutshell, ego and authority. Mm-hmm. It's mean temper, condescending attitude, and 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 poor management style. Mm-hmm. And and the people that they talked to said that you know we're not leaving, we're not leaving jobs, we're leaving bosses. Mm. And um, it's because that most of the leaders that are out there don't take the time to understand. How to listen, mm-hmm. how to communicate their message, at the same time being cognizant of the impact that the message is going to have on the downliner or the the direct report. Um, it's it 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 amazes me. Uh, I was I was a, a witness to, mm-hmm. and I was a, I was subjected to a a lot of abhorrent leadership within my old agency. Uh, and it, it always was because uh, I was supervised by bulls in China shops <laughs> and they were going to get their, their way. way the highway. Yeah, yeah. Because they were the because I said so crowd. Mm. And 
in today's climate, especially with this younger and younger uh, person populating the workforce, mm-hmm. the because I said so doesn't work anymore. You, you, no. You're not going to tell a 25-year-old, do this because I said so, because they want... And they've, because all of their life, they've been given explanations. Right. And so you're not going to, you're not, what. It worked in the World War II era. Yeah, well, even when I was coming up, because I said so, was enough. Yeah. It's not enough anymore. It's not enough. Because there's the information age, people know everything of why, and they're just, you know, that's that's interesting. So I think, you know, there's something to learn there, you know, because a lot of us are, you know, either mortgage, independent mortgage brokers, or we run companies, or we run a mortgage shop, and. You know, we've got to be able to listen to our staff and, but like, how do you, let, let's say someone comes to a, comes to you with an idea or something, but it's just not the right idea for the company or not the right idea for what you're trying to do. How do you, how do you do it without pissing them off? So they want to leave, you know, like, right. Like, so if the, if a person brings an idea to you as an owner of a company or as a, as a manager of a company and you know, they think it's a great idea, but maybe it's not in line with what the overall vision of the company is. Like, how do you deal with that without pissing them off? Yeah, and well, I mean, keep in mind that at the end of the day, people want other people to understand how they feel, mm-hmm. how they view the lay of the land, mm-hmm. what their environment looks like, what circumstances they're under. Right. So as long as you lend an ear... Mm-hmm. You may never have to implement the idea. It may that idea may run counter to where the organization wants to go, and mm-hmm. you know that there's no way in heck that it's going to ever work. come to pass right. or, or work. But you um, listen. But, you're, you're... but you, you listen. It, you know, it it sounds like you've taken that under a lot of deliberation. A simple label like that, mm-hmm. and then follow it on with, "Would it be a bad idea if you walk me through your thought process?" And give them a chance to. Ugh, Throw all of that information sure. up. And maybe it ends up changing your mind. Maybe it doesn't. It could. You yeah. never know. I mean, if it, you, sh- you as a leader, as a boss, as a manager should always be striving to get better. They'll mm-hmm. always be striving to learn more. That's one of the greatest uh, impediments to quality leadership is we reach a certain plateau and we think that uh, the, the learning is over. Right. From direct reports and downliners. You know, we'll look up mm-hmm. to try to get information to learn and, and get better. But rarely do we look back mm-hmm. to try to get information. And, you know, you're not, you may be a sharp cookie, but you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You don't know everything. And, right. and, and, especially um, as you lose touch. Yeah. You're not enough boots on the ground anymore. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you need that intel, right? For- you need that intel. And what does that tell your downliners and your direct reports? You care. When, when you go to people who report to you and say, hey, Bob, come here for a second. I want to run something by you. Mm-hmm. You do that as a leader. What kind of relationship are you building with Bob? You do that. Bob, come in here. I want to ask you something. You do that, and you're already sitting in an office with a colleague or one of your bosses. Mm -hmm. What kind of message are you sending to them about what you think about Bob? Mm -hmm. And that is, is in military terms, a chit that you can call in later. That's credit that you're building mm-hmm. with Bob and, and, and you're on your way to establishing a, a stronger relationship with Bob. And so when, um, when the cruddy assignment comes along <laughs> and you got to give it to Bob, you're going to get a lot less pushback from Bob. Right. Right. Cause he knows that you empathize with them and just that he knows that you care. Yeah. He knows that you care. You, how does, how does he know? Because you're, you, you spoke volumes in front of witnesses that you appreciate his input. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so being a leader in law enforcement, how did you react to failure? Own it. You own it. You got to own it. You, yep. you got to, you got to own it. Ego and authority. Ego prevents people from owning failure. Um, Why and, do you think that is? Like, well, because it's, 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 it's embarrassment. It's self-image. If I admit to a failure, that meant, that means I didn't do something or I didn't know something mm-hmm. and or I didn't execute appropriately. My strategy stunk. Mm-hmm. All of those are are can be damaging to your ego. But in law enforcement, I it, at least for me, I had to own it. Mm-hmm. And even if it was not a failure that I had a direct hand in, even if it was a failure failure on execution on the part of my team. Mm-hmm. Let's say my team went out and screwed something up. Right. 
It's not on them. It's on you. It's yeah. on me. Right. Let's say they they went out and they screwed something up because of poor execution or because of lack of motivation mm-hmm. or insubordination. Mm-hmm. It's still on me. Right. It's never on them. Do you think that helps diffuse like heated situations sometimes? Like there's a problem and it's like <clears throat> everyone's upset and then you take the blame and, and even, I mean, cause it's not like take the blame for no reason, but if you, you know, you say in your leader, you take the blame and then do you think that can help diffuse some of the heat? It helps diffuse uh, the heat, uh, especially in the, in the team dynamic sense, mm-hmm. because it, because you're telling them, it's 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 my bad. If they right. do something because they were being insubordinate, mm-hmm. it's because I haven't led properly. Right. If there's a low motivation mm-hmm. and they're just lazy, <laughs> it's not their problem. It's mm-hmm. my problem because I failed to motivate. And if it's a poor execution, I failed to instruct. Mm. Either way, I right. fail. I think that's what makes a great leader. You know. And well, I appreciate that. And I and I think keeping it. Keep it in, keeping it in context. You're going mm-hmm. to fail because you're dealing with human beings and human beings are kind of fallible. Fail. Right. So after every, for example, every hostage job that we went on, I'd get it to a whiteboard and I'd write one column would say right. One column would say wrong. <laughs> and I say, let's, let's talk about all the things that we did. Right. Boom, 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 boom. We'd make a list. And then in the wrong column, what did we do wrong? Mm-hmm. And we'd write those lists out. And I said, own it. We're owning these mistakes. Right. When you go out again, guess what? You're going to make mistakes again. Absolutely. Just make sure they're not these mistakes. Make sure right. that Don't all the, the mistakes are twice. brand new ones. Yep. yep. So um, now, now if you do that with, so our <clears throat> viewers and listeners are mortgage brokers and mortgage professionals. And sometimes, you know, there's things that, that mistakes that are happening, right? Just the same way. It's like there's, there's human error and, you know, we forgot to tell them something or, you know, we thought they could qualify for a program and they couldn't. Um, so in the same way, you know, it's probably smart to own that mistake yeah. because it probably diffuses. Cause let's say, you, Oh, you don't qualify for the rate that you wanted. Right. Like, so you're going to be mad as the consumer. You're going to be like, what? I, you said I could get this, you know, 3% rate. And yeah. now you're saying I can't. Yeah. How do you deal with that is in the same kind of way you just, yeah, well, it's anytime you're going to share news mm-hmm. with someone else that they're not likely going to want to hear. Right. You want to you want to diffuse that negative. You can, you do that whole pattern right again. You're going to you're, you're going to you're and you're going to start it off with I'm sorry. Yep. This is going to sound horrible. You're going to think that I lied to you. You're going to think that we're incompetent and we don't know what we're talking about. And you may even think that we're trying to take advantage of and I just let that sit. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. And then boom, hit him with. Such good advice. I'm afraid you don't qualify for the 3%. We thought you were going to. Turns out you didn't. And that, now, they're still not going to be happy. Mm-mm. But they're going to be angry at the situation and not at you. Mm. And there's a difference. Because they're angry at the situation, they'll eventually figure out a way around it. Mm-hmm. If they're angry at you, they're going somewhere else. Right. That's good. That's really good advice. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about, uh, I think also in your book, you talk about selling jail time. This is a very interesting concept, right? Yeah. So you've got situation, you know, paint us a picture where you're in a hostage negotiation situation. The person's got the back against the wall. They're, they're, you're surra- they're surrounded. Mm-hmm. You're in this, you know, they might have in their mind, that there's other options, mm-hmm. right? They don't, they're not thinking jail time. They're thinking I'm going to get out of here on a helicopter and go to Cuba or, you know, I'm going to get the money that I got in the bank and, you know, somehow escape through the, 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 the whatever the movies show you, right. They go yeah. out through the bottom or the, <laughs> the, the cellar or whatever. Um, but you hit them with jail time. Like basically, you know, they buy it all the time. You say like that. Yeah. And, yeah. But that takes probably some skill because no one's going to ever, you know, kind of back to what you said, like you're going to go to the worst case scenario, right? It's life in prison, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, so tell us about that. That's an interesting concept. It's, it's all about 
deferring and subordinating yourself to the other side. And I do that, or we did that because we were trying to lower their emotion mm-hmm. and return them to a normal functioning level. You know, and I know that the most expedient way to get the police to leave you alone is not to snatch hostages, <laughs> right? We both know that. Mm-hmm. Taking out of those, the situation, the bad guy knows that. So why do you think he did it? If that's not a way to get us to leave you, him alone, why do you think he did it? He thought it was collateral. He thought it was some way that he could uh, protect himself. You're close. You're close. He did it because he was thrown into a crisis state by the rapid loss of something that we cherish. Uh, we cherish very strongly. That's our freedom. Mm-hmm. Most of these people don't wake up and say, hey, I'm going to go to a bank and take some hostages today. (laughs) They say, I'm going to go to the bank and rob it. And be rich. And they get interrupted in the middle of their crime. And now they panic because freedom has been snatched away from them. Mm -hmm. There's no cognitive map for them to handle that situation. And so they grab these hostages and they start to threaten Mm -hmm. saying, you know, don't come in here. They're going to, they're going to die. You know, the blood will be on your hands, et cetera. And so, that's an emotional response. Mm-hmm. So my job is to go in and return them to a normal functioning level by dealing with the emotional aspects as they see it themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you think of a fulcrum, when emotions are high, rational thinking is low. I can't direct their decision-making until I deal with the emotional aspect as they see it. And so as I start to attack these emotions, what happens to the normal functioning level, it comes up. Their rational thinking comes up Mm -hmm. and now they're in a position where I can start to direct their decision-making because they're not looking through that cloud Mm. of negative emotions. Mm -hmm. And they're not being, like you said, irrational or um, emotional maybe because you're starting to get them back to reality. Right. 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 Because I've, I've taken, I've taken care of their fear and their anger and their frustration and their portrayal and, and everything else that went into motivating their behavior. Mm -hmm. See, many times um, when people tell you no, when they give you pushback, they show hesitancy or reluctance or Mm -hmm. resistance, it's because of fear or mistrust. Mm. We get so hung up on the no, we freak out. When, Mm -hmm. When in reality, you should be focusing on what's motivating the no. Why don't they trust me? Why do they view me as a threat? And this goes from for hostage taking on down to, you know, getting your kid to go to bed earlier or <laughs> or go to this college as opposed to that college. Anytime anyone says no to you, find out the reason why. Your quest should be to find out the reason why, not just freak out because they said no. Do you have some uh, negotiation stories with kids? Like uh, bedtime? <laughs> no, I, so I, I, I don't. And here's why I can give you negotiation advice for your kids. Right. Um, but I could go to work on a Monday morning and, and say um, to coworkers, you know, they say, well, Derek, how was your weekend? I say, yeah, I might, I, I fought with my 17 year old all weekend long. She just <laughs> would not do what I asked her to do. We're just butting heads all the time. And they look at me like, wait a minute, You're Mr. A Mr. Hostage negotiator. Why is that the case? <laughs> right. Right. Because I'm emotionally attached. Ooh, yeah, that makes sense. And when, loves in there. And, yeah. and it's that fog. Mm-hmm. It blocks the prefrontal cortex and it prevents you from processing. It prevents you from functioning. <laughs> and so that's why I can't negotiate with my own kids. <laughs> that's good. That's a, that's a great point. Um, so how do you sell jail time? Is that is that really like, okay, well, I can give you 18 years or I can give you 10 no, years? No, I'm no. not bargaining with them over time because I don't have that kind of control. Right. Uh, but when I say I sold jail time, I got them to realize that, hey, threatening these people who had nothing to do with your previous circumstance mm-hmm. is, gonna is, go, is going to expose you to harsher judgment by the courts than if you were just to put the gun down and walk out. Right. And so that's, that's sell, selling jail time because at the beginning of the thing, what do we get? Don't come in here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kill everybody. Blood's going to be on your hands. You better not do anything foolish or all these people are going to die. Massacre. I want you to know I'm in control here. Mm-hmm. That's how they start out. And then four hours later, he's on the phone crying. I don't know saying, why I'm here. Yeah. Saying, 
what do you want me to do next? Or, or, or how long do you think I'll be in jail tonight? I hear statements like that. I know that I'm right around the corner from bringing this thing home. And that's mm -hmm. what I mean. It's, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a selling jail time. is just a figure of speech to say that I get them to surrender. Got it. Makes sense. That's such a, I, I think, you know, getting them to realize like I'm going to be in jail and it's not going to be, you know, it's going to suck, but better, a lot than, better dying. than dying exactly. and then killing someone else and taking a life. Exactly. That's great. Um, so how, how can you sell someone who just seemingly they have all the leverage? Like, how do you get back some of that leverage? Uh, we, there's leverage in everything. It just leverage is one of the most emotional words in the negotiation lexicon mm -hmm. because it's subjective. It depends on what, what side of the table you sit on and what you what you place value on. Right. Um, these guys, they were mostly guys that I dealt with. They had what they thought was all the leverage in the world. They had the hostages. They had the guns. They had the fortified position. And I'm just outside with a bunch of my friends. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, again, it's not the be it's not the actual behavior that we focus on. We focus on what's motivating behavior. So it doesn't matter how much leverage they have. What are they really telling you when they say, "Don't come in here. Somebody's going to die." What are they really telling you when they snatch a hostage during a robbery takeover? That's what we go after. So the leverage is, is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. People ask all the time, how many times did you get them to say yes to you? I never got them to say yes. Right. Never got them to say yes. I was never driving for a yes. No, right? Driving for no's all the time. I'm, I'm continually amazed by what people will agree to by saying no, that they will never agree to. <laughs> Say yes to. You just flip the question around. Just flip it around. Just give me, flip give me some examples. Just for the... get off of the uh, the. Stop asking verb led questions. Would it would it be a bad idea if we, if I for example if I wanted to sit in a reserve section of a restaurant. I could go up to the hostess and say. Can I sit over there? Can I sit over there? No. And clearly, I want her to say what? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> right. So now I flip the question, would it be a bad idea if we sat over there? No. Pro protects their autonomy. You're not right. forcing them to say yes, because yes is commitment, as we talked about earlier. So I, I'm, I'm protecting their Why autonomy. Why is it so hard to get this? Like, literally, I think about me and, like, my wife. We go to dinner, and I'm like, can we sit over here? Oh, no, that's reserved. You know, right? You get into these situations. But maybe if, if you say that, would it be a bad idea if we at this table yeah is it ridiculous is, is that it, ridiculous is it, is it out of the question is it impossible yeah. for us to is get it this impossible to get that table are you against right those are all examples of the no oriented question and then and they're powerful because people are we are a society that is yes addicted mm -hmm. and and we're yes battered i think also probably for what 50 years maybe there was this constant, you know, we want people to say yes. We want people to say yes. And so we're just sick of it. You yeah. Think that's part of it. Yeah, I, of course it is. There, yeah. There's, there's, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a school of thought currently today that you get a lot of micro yeses in the course of the conversation uh -huh. and each yes is yeah. a tie down. And, it's and like, th th those were the words that this person, this instructor was using. Each yes is a tie down. Leading oh, so, to the next is like dominoes. Right. Or and so you're using terms like tie down. If I am tying you down, what do you know? You know that you're being tied down right. and you are being resentful for it. Mm -hmm. And even though I may be giving you a yes, mm -hmm. I'm feeling like I'm being forced, especially, and you feel like you're forcing me, especially mm -hmm. when you're using terms like tie down. Mm -hmm. And so where is the problem going to lie if I'm forced into a yes? That I didn't want to begin with. Plus, it's like you're trick trying to trick them into a yes, too. Yeah. So there's a problem with implementation. Right. So as, as Chris would say, the, a yes without a how is worthless. Mm. You can get all the yeses you want. In fact, Carl Icahn used to do that all the time. He'd yes, 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 yes on price and then kill them on terms. <laughs> because people are so yes addicted. And once they got a yes out of Carl Icahn, they were like, oh, this is great. And, and he would just bludgeon them. On terms. Then they'd be like, wait a minute. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, your, your yeses paint people into a corner. 
Um, and people are, are they're, they're sick of being painted in into a, a corner. It's almost like the name game. You know, it's, mm. it's when you use somebody's name over and over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. John, how you doing, John? John, John, do you like clean water, John? <laughs> John, John. I, it gets super annoying. It, yeah. It's annoying. And you feel like what? I'm pushing you into a corner. Right. Yeah. Same concept. That's, 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 that's cool. Um, so is there a difference over the phone? A lot of our sales are done over the phone yeah. versus in person. We, in this day and age, I think most of our businesses over phone, over text, over email. Yeah. A lot of times we don't even see the, the, the borrower <clears throat> or meet them. Yeah. You know, what, uh, what can you do to help lock down? It's not, let's see the tie down, right? <laughs> Locked in or convince, I guess would be the word of someone to go with you. You don't have the face to face. We have a phone. Like, how do you, what, what are tools, tips that we can use? to get someone uh, to kind of come over to the other side? Uh, email. Do you like reading long emails? Hell no. Do you write long emails? Hell no. You don't. Well, you're ahead of the game. This is something I've taught on this podcast too. It's just do not write long emails. If you are writing long emails, you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, rule of thumb? Well, I'm glad you're saying this because... I think we could say this probably till this podcast runs out for mm-hmm. another 20 years and people will still write long emails. Yeah. You ask the question, do you like reading long emails? And everybody that you ask that question to will go, nope. And then you say, do you write long emails? And they'll go, yep. <laughs> and the, the problem with the long emails, well, general rule of thumb, first of all, um, if your email is longer than five sentences, it's probably too long. That's a good general rule. Um, secondly, if you write a long email, the recipient is going to pick one, two, maybe three things in that email that they absolutely hate, and that's all they're going to f- focus on, mm-hmm. and the rest of it is just noise. Skim it. They're going to skim it probably too. So use your email. Use the email to drive them to the phone. At the very least, I prefer face-to-face because you get more data mm-hmm. when you sit down and talk with someone. But that's not always appropriate, but you, by and large, you can usually get somebody on the phone. Right. The skills are appropriate in voice-to-voice and face-to-face uh, conversations. I, I try to tell all of my clients, stay away from that email stuff because it's, it's, uh, it's a hard way to read well, you can interpret the other it side. The yeah. wrong way. Right? Yeah. In fact, Stuart Diamond, who is a professor at Wharton in Pennsylvania, um, he proposes that you actually draft your email, you print it out, (laughs) and you read it out loud in the harshest tone that you can think of. (laughs) Because that's That's how they might read it. that's, That's likely how they could read it. Yep. And after you've done that, Random calls them email softeners, throw in a bunch of I'm sorry's, I'm afraid's in there to help soften it. But even then, it shouldn't be longer than five sentences. Wow, that's good advice. There's so many ways that people can take things the wrong way. Yeah. Text messages, there's emails. I mean, but you get on a phone call with someone, it's hard for them to read that wrong. No, you're absolutely right. You read a text message and you always read it in the tone that's in your head. Mm-hmm. I can ask you ha- something as innocuous as, um, I'll bet you didn't think that was going to happen. And I send that on a text and you're going to be like, what does he mean? Right. But you didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Phone is so important that we imagine it. Yeah. And we read it the way that we would <clears throat> think that they would say it. Exactly. And, Perceptions, reality. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's so true, man. <clears throat> so uh, some people might listen to this episode and think, wow, you're using tactical empathy and other negotiation tactics on your employees, teammates. That seems manipulating. What would you say to that? Is this manipulation? It's influence. What's the difference between influence and manipulation? Influence is a, is a positive, right? Manipulation is a selfish that's exactly right. It's right. the intent 
of the person using the skill. Mm. This skill is just like the force. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. Mm. What is the intent on the purpose, on the person, on the part of the person using the skill? Right. We don't espouse using this to manipulate or take advantage of anyone. Mm -hmm. People often ask us, um, what happens if John's black swan trained and you're black swan trained and you guys are both at the table? <laughs> it's like a jujitsu combat. And then it's, it, you got to ask, well, if, if John is using black swan skills against me, what is his intent? Mm -hmm. And I'll know mm -hmm. if you're trying to manipulate. And if, and if I know that you're using black swan skills to try to manipulate me, I don't want to do business with you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to cut a deal with you right. because even if I cut a deal with you, this is how you're going to handle the relationship. I'm always going to be looking over my shoulder at you. I don't want to do business with somebody like that. Right. And so I would tell anybody that it's the intent of the user and we'd never espouse taking advantage of, over of anyone mm -hmm. using um, these skills. Yeah, I mean, cause uh, like in the mortgage business, like you're going to, they're going to go with someone. They want to refi or whatever. They're going to buy this house. They're going to go with somebody. Right. So my, why not make it you? Exactly. You know, and, and it, so they're going to pick the one that has the best either negotiation skills or, or uh, persuasion skills. It's not even about persuasion or negotiation. Does it's making, a, make it, it feel good? It's about being listened to. Mm -hmm. Because by and large, mortgage industry, dry cleaning, Starbucks, Healthcare doesn't mm -hmm. matter. You go where you feel, where you feel like you've been listened to. Mm -hmm. People love other people to understand their environment, their circumstances, what they're going through, how they view the lay of the land. And right. most people don't do it. So, if you're a lender, mm -hmm. you're lender A, and and I can guarantee you, if you're doing it, lender B, C, and D, they're not doing it. Right. That's what will differentiate you from the pack. Mm -hmm. Just take the time to demonstrate to the other side that you are listening, you're picking up what they're laying down, you get it. Mm -hmm. This is going beyond, I understand where you're coming from, to deeply understanding what's motivating their behavior and, and how what their frame of reference is. And, and you can look at it like maybe influencing, manipulation, all that, but at the end of the day, you're just becoming a better freaking human to listen and to stop being the one that's you know, not listening and making someone feel bad. Exactly, exactly. But if you can turn and change your approach, your tactic, it's not, you're, you're, you're making yourself better. You're making yourself a, a, a better salesperson because you actually are listening. You want yeah. to help them accomplish their goals. You're an advisor and you're not just trying to tie them down. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And, it, and, and with our stuff, with the black swan method, you, you're being invited mm -hmm. into somebody's brain. Using it for ill purposes, you're breaking into somebody's brain. And, that, and there's a difference. Right. Because you could use it like, you know, with your kid, it would be a bad idea for us to sit over there. You could use that for, for bad purpose, like Jedi's, right? <laughs> yeah. The same thing. I yeah. Mean, it, yeah. If you're using it to actually try to get over on somebody else, mm -hmm. then, then it's, then it's man manipulative. But if you're using it to, to gather information to help the other side make a decision that's going to be benefit to both of you. Right. That's an entirely Win -win. different story. Yeah. Right, right. Let's go back to ego real quick. And, um, in your one dominant element in your book is ego. How does ego destroy teams? And then when is ego good? We, I, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I think ego is, is good. Uh, when you are looking for, um, for example, advancement, when you're trying to get from, promoted from one level to the next, you're going to mm -hmm. have to have a certain level of ego mm -hmm. to get there. And, and in those instances, ego serves you well. How can it destroy a team? Um, ego will not let you accept blame for something that your team yeah, does. That's right. Right. Uh, ego will not uh, allow you to give credit to your team when everything goes right. Mm -hmm. Ego will not. Um, be inclusive. Mm -hmm. Ego will tell you that you're the boss. Right. You've got all the ideas and all the answers. And if these guys wanted to contribute to the solution of problems, then they should have competed to get promoted themselves. That's what ego would tell you. Mm -hmm. And so as a direct report, when I get hit with that over and over again, I either leave 
or I leave, but actually stay, which means I check out. Yeah. And I stop, I stay, I stop, I stop being a productive member of the team mm -hmm. because I'd rather punish you by doing nothing. Right. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I, I was browbeaten to such an extent the latter part of my career where I stopped, I, I left, but didn't leave mm -hmm. where I stopped putting forth ideas. I stopped being proactive in my contribution. And I just said, you, you know what? Just, you guys just tell me what you want me to do. You want mm -hmm. to go stand with my nose in that corner. That's <laughs> what I'll do. You know, do you think a leader can learn and then reverse that to their subordinate? What do you mean? Like if, <clears throat> say like that you did that, right? You kind of checked out or you're, let, let's say we have an employee that just sort of checked out and you're yeah. like, God, what happened to them? They were, you know, so good at, you know, giving ideas, even though I didn't take them, but they were so passionate and then kind of shut them down too much. And then they sort of checked out. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, you, you read your book yeah. and then they're like, damn, I need to change my ways. Yeah. And then they come back. Can you reignite that fire yeah, in the belly? Because it's, uh, it's, it's all about increasing your emotional intelligence. You know, you have to have a certain level of emotional intelligence to care about anybody but yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, you can continue to develop your emotional intelligence into your 80s. Mm -hmm. You know, your IQ, you are who you are by the time you reach age 14. It ain't getting any better. Right. But your EQ, you can continue to develop that. And, and again, this goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is always stay hungry. Always look for more knowledge. Always try to make yourself better. Always try to increase your EQ. So certainly, um, you can turn it around. Mm -hmm. You can turn it around. Now, that same scenario that you set up, if after hearing this podcast, because somebody that's listening right now recognizes themselves in that scenario mm -hmm. as the boss, mm -hmm. and you go back and you apologize, and you ask a couple of calibrated questions, and you label and mirror the responses that you get, it would change almost overnight. That damage can, can start to be undone almost overnight. Mm -hmm. So it's never too late to learn, never too late to change. That's great. That's really good. I think you're right. And I think people want, you know, they get shut down and they're like, well, screw this. And then, you know, you can, if, if someone recognizes they're wrong and they can change and it, it can certainly, certainly be uh, reversed. That's, that's awesome. Um, where can uh, someone find your book? Is it at uh, it's, Barnes and Nobles online? Nah, Amazon? It's, ex it's exclusively Amazon. There may be a store or two that mm -hmm. have um, purchased bulk copies of it. Uh, I know there's one in uh, Marin County um, up north here mm -hmm. that has it. But good news is in two weeks, I will be recording the audio book. So that nice. should be av available by... Mid March. That's great. Yeah. Have so you ever I'll, thought about I'll, turning it into like a, a chapter podcast or anything like that? I've thought about it. Yeah. I've thought about it. Maybe if I can find the right location, right venue, I can get that done too. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, one of the questions I love to ask all my guests yeah. is uh, what is your favorite failure? And the reason why I ask it is because, you know, I love the quote uh, where Winston Churchill says, you know, the, the definition of success is moving from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Yeah. Wow. And, and I've, you know, I've, you know, when you have a vision of what you're going to do and, you know, you hit these bumps along the way, like you don't, you know, some people get beat down by it and give up. Right. But other people say, you know, these are just little roadblocks. These are little, you know, little failures, but there's always that big failure you kind of learn from, you know, like in your life and you just go, wow, that maybe changed the course of something or, um, you know, maybe impacted you. And, and I'd love to hear from. Oh, from Wow. Favorite failure. Yeah. Um, my favorite failure was uh, when I lost command of the investigations division back at my agency. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a failure in so far as uh, I was removed what I thought was punitively, um, but, but without real justification. Um, and it's something I didn't ever think would happen. So in other words, I spent, you didn't see it coming. I didn't see, I, I didn't see it coming. Talk about quality leadership. I didn't see it coming. 
you know how I found out about it? I was at a basketball camp with my basketball team mm-hmm. and I got a, uh, an email mm-hmm. that went out to the entire agency with transfers that were going on. And my name was on the transfer list. <sighs> That's how I was notified oh, that I was going back to, that I was going back to patrol. Wow. Um, and so, um, I, the the transfer was punitive it was it was vendetta driven mm. um but it accelerated my exit my retirement from the from the agency mm-hmm. uh it left me no doubt that my time had come mm-hmm. um and without that occurring i would have never been able to join black swan full time i would have never um moved out of the state i would have never written a book <laughs> and so uh, that was one of my favorite failures because it was a catalyst for the next chapters in my life. That's that's great. Yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes we look at these things that ha- that happen to us, and we take them so hard, right? Because you don't know what's coming. But sometimes it's like a release to like do the next thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. What makes us nervous is the uncertainty, right. and, and when we when we just walk out on faith, mm-hmm. good things happen. What, uh, what else do you want to leave us with? Uh, anything, any tips for finance people, real estate people that you think that can Finance help? people, real estate people, uh, it doesn't really matter. I want you to understand one thing. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, it's not about you. Mm. It's not about where, where you want to end up. It's not about your goal or your objective. It's about whomever you're dealing with on the other side. Mm-hmm. Put your goal and objective in the back seat. And let them drive the car for a little bit. And You'll listen. eventually get to your goal and objective, but don't lead with it. Listen. Listen. Let them tell you what they want. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> if you would do that, because most people don't, mm-hmm. if you were to show that interest in someone, mm-hmm. for example, low stakes practice, go to Starbucks, order your drink, ask the barista how he or she is doing. And when they respond back to you, you simply say, seems like you got a reason for saying that. And watch how much more information you get from them willingly. <laughs> seems because, like you have a good reason for saying that. Yeah. Regardless I'm of what they say. I'm doing great or I'm, I'm, I'm having a pretty good day. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, my life, you know. <laughs> seems, you like, seems like you have a good reason for saying that. And watch how much more information they get. They give you because nobody has taken the time. They've gotten all day long. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Good. Exactly. Or, nah. Yeah. Good. Okay, cool. Hey, can I have it? Can I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they've gotten that all day long. Right. And if somebody just takes the time and says, seems like you got a reason for saying that. Why do you think people don't do that enough? It takes too much time. People are lazy. Busy. Lazy. People are lazy. They're preoccupied with other stuff. They got to move on to the next thing, whatever the next thing is. It's almost like you have a secret Jedi advantage. If you can just stop. A moment. Yeah. And listen. Yeah. Because there's 99% of people don't, right? Right. Except for some older people that don't have anything else to do. Right. Right. They're, oh, how was your day? You know, like, but, but most of, if, if a younger person or someone, you know, our age just asks, stops and asks somebody a question like that. If you stop and ask the question how you're doing, just follow on with one more statement. Seems like you have a reason for saying that. And you'll be amazed. Would you use that then also on a call with like a like a potential client? If they you say how you doing, I'm I'm pretty good. Seems like you have you know. It's, well, you, you play with it a little bit. Yeah. How are they saying it? Yeah. Are they saying it? Eh, I'm pretty good. Or are they saying I'm great? Yeah. You know, there's, there's a difference in that. Or yeah. I'm doing pretty good. Right. Or, or I'm 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 All pretty right. good. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you it, it, you can you can say in in the first instance, uh, you know, I'm pretty good. Sounds like, you, sounds like you've been having a rough one today. Watch how much more information they give you. Right. Because nobody's taking the time. Right. Or they said, or they tell you, I'm pretty good. Yeah. It sounds like it's been going great for you today. Yeah, it has. You know, I've been able to close this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife just found out she's pregnant and I, I want a new car and price is right. You know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I think that's, um, it's something we all can just practice get better at and I, I i what i'm hearing is i think that would lead to more success is that what you think it would lead to more success because people you force 
I don't want to say force. You initiate the rule of reciprocity when you do that. Mm. It feels so good to have somebody demonstrate that they're listening to me. Mm -hmm. I want to repay the favor, Mm -hmm. which is give you the business, Mm -hmm. which is give you your yes, Mm -hmm. which is not push back against you when it's time for you to state whatever your goal or, or objective is right. That rule of reciprocity feels so good mm. or, or they feel so good. They will engage that rule of reciprocity. Right. Because you've taken the time. That's how much power listening alone has. Because when think, you listen, they start to like you and people. Right. You want to do will, things for people that they like. Yeah, right? They're six times more likely to make a deal with you if they like you based on no other criteria whatsoever. Interesting. Kind of like we were talking about earlier where we said, um, what was it? If it's, uh, you know, you don't, maybe it was on a different podcast, but people don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. Yep. Right. And so when you, when you write a long email versus, you know, you're saying, I'm not going to read this long email, but I'm going to write a long email. You're, you're, you're not doing what you'd want. You know, you're basically giving somebody something that you would never take yourself. You're expect, you're setting an expectation that you would never, like, but, but why do we do it? Like it's this, it's this, you know, you asked me those questions and I yep. said, no, I don't write short, I don't write long emails. But if I would have said, I do write long emails. Why do we do that? Why do we do things that people, you know, we know like in our heads that we're yeah. not going to read a long email, right. but then we go out and write a long email. Same way. Like we want someone to ask us about our day, but we don't ask people about their day. Yeah. Is, is this like, I, I think, uh, I think in large part is if I write selfish you, individuals, if, if, you, if I write, if I write you a long email, are you more important? That means the less time I have to engage you mm. personally. Mm-hmm. It's easier for me to write an email and tell you no, Right. Than it is to sit across the table from you and tell you no. Yeah. It's easier for me to uh, deal with your wrath electronically than it would be to deal with your wrath face to face. Face to face. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it provides anonymity and protection. That's why people, and now, now it's unfortunately, it's a pacifier. And, and, but we, we talk about this a lot on, <clears throat> on all of our podcasts, I think, is, is, you know, LinkedIn. People will hit you up on LinkedIn that you've never met. And they're, every single email, every single, every single reach out to me is these 20 line emails, right? Like, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I, 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 And I noticed that you do you, can we do this? Mm-hmm. You want to talk? You want to set up an appointment? And you're just like, how can you, no one has time to read those. You don't have time to read it. And as soon as it's a, it's a pitch for something, what are you doing with it? Yeah. Are you are you clicking connect? No, you're not. You're just you're going on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another thing. You put yourself at a disadvantage when you throw out your entire quote pitch mm-hmm. in a LinkedIn post or an email because now I can just say yeah, delete. I'm not even going to respond. Right. Whereas another way to do it, especially via email, is subject line. This is probably going to catch you off guard. That's good. Body of the email. Would it be a bad idea if we scheduled a 13-minute conversation about X? Boom. Boom. Then you're going to get responses all over the world. You're going to get responses. If nothing else, even if you don't get a response, you haven't offended the other side. Yeah. You haven't made them angry. They haven't. They they just have elected not to for whatever reason. Now, there's Mm -hmm. some follow-up emails that you could do to make sure that they're definitely not interested. Mm -hmm. But... How long would you let that sit in your inbox if I sent that to you on the subject line? It's an easy reply back. So I'm going to probably reply back. You're gonna, I know you're going to open it. Yeah. If I put something in the subject line that says, this is probably going to catch you off guard, you're going to be like, oh, I got to see this. Yeah. And you're going to open it. Right. And now I'm asking you for a phone call. No mm-hmm. oriented question. And you see, I'm not driving for a yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying when is a good time for me to call. I'm saying, would it be a bad idea if we scheduled a what? 13 minute phone call. No, it wouldn't be a bad idea. See, these are all kinds of good tips. We can find these in your book? Uh, yeah, you can. You can all find right. them in Ego Authority Failure. You certainly can find them in Never Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. Yep, good stuff. Do you have a LinkedIn or do you have a uh, uh, social media? Yeah, you can, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's, that's as far as I go on the socials. <laughs> um, um, 
but um, like I said, look out probably by at the latest April 1st, it will be on Audible. Nice. And from what I'm hearing, uh, everybody's clamoring for that. So I'm going to hit the studio in two weeks. Can't wait to watch or listen to it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we'll uh, wrap this up. But please like, share, and subscribe if you like this podcast. And uh, once again, thanks for coming on. John, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you guys are looking for more content like this, we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel where we give away more tips, secrets, and origination ideas. You can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's fund loans together.